This year as a church, we have had this motto, or we decided we're going to have a motto, let's have fun in 2021, because 2020 was just terrible. And the first week and the second week in America really didn't pay off, but we saw something start to change in America, and I think we're the central reason of it. And I'll tell you why here in a second, but something happened uh, this week on the 20th. If you haven't heard, uh, Joe Biden is our new president, and there was a guy who attended who uh, was dressed up in all of his Vermont fashion, and he came with his mittens on, and he just had this angry scowl on his face the whole time, and nobody could really understand what happened to him, but they did some footage before this was taken, and they found that somebody came and visited him and said hi, and it just made him really uncomfortable and mad. And so he had this look that he just kind of had throughout the entire inauguration. And as you're going through this process, something else, else happened. Is Nobody thought it was going to happen, but Bernie Sanders, his ugly mittens, and his chair somehow united America. Like, we're finally happy and on the same page without fighting. And it may only last a few days, but right now it's happening. Now, many of y'all don't know where this started, but it actually happened last Sunday. Y'all may not have recognized our special guest, but he was here the whole time listening to the sermons. He loved it so much, he came back Wednesday night to hear, hear the message and the youth as well. And then he decided he was going to take his fame and his happiness all over. He went on Jeopardy and enjoyed the show. He was feeling so good about himself. He wanted to go to the highest highs. He went and visited the queen. And then he decided, you know what, I'm going to Walmart. I'm going to sell some Girl Scout cookies. And he topped off his week by winning a UFC fight last night. So we're really, really excited about it and how everybody's having fun. The only person who's not having fun is Joe Biden because he's president and nobody seems to care only people want to hear and talk about Bernie sitting on a chair. And so, good for Bernie, good for America. I'm glad we can have some fun, and everybody's kind of getting in on it this week. And so, as we're doing this, in all seriousness, it's good to see kind of a, a sweet spirit in maybe the most unlikely of places, which is Bernie Sanders. And it's good to see how we can kind of come together and have some fun going on. And as we do this, what we're going to be talking about today is sweet words. The sweetest source for sweet words that can add to our life and give us blessing and focus, that can give us reason and purpose for living. And we're going to find this in Mark chapter 13. We're going to be in a few verses. We're going to focus on 31, but we're going to start in verse 28. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that Jesus uses the fig tree as an illustration to prove his points frequently. You know that as he was going a few chapters before this, he was walking into the temple, he saw a fig tree, and he went to eat of it, and there were no figs, and so he cursed it, and as he went, he not only cursed the tree, but he moved forward, and he went into the temple, cleansed the temple, and after he cleansed the temple, he came out, the fig tree was dead, and this was an indication that if we're not bearing fruit, then we're going to die, and there was a lesson to be had there in the tabernacle, a lesson to be learned there in life, and as he's going about teaching, he comes upon another fig tree, and this is what he says, verse 28, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you th see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And he's giving a foretelling of the future. 
And he's letting them know that there are certain things that are going to happen. And you can go to poetry, it'll pass away. You can go to different stories and they're going to pass away. But when it comes to the Word of God, the Word of God will not pass away. Verse 31 says it so clear whenever he's talking about the sufficiency of Scripture that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And that's what we're going to focus on is the idea that the Word of God will never pass away, that the Word of God is steady and it's sure. And the reason that we can be so sure about the sufficiency of Scripture is because the Bible is fully inspired. It is given to us by God. We can know that the Scripture is fully sure because it is authoritative because it comes from God. Since God is the source of Scripture, it has authority over all of our life. And since God is the source of Scripture, it is fully true. It is fully trustworthy. It has no flaw. It has no error in it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, I hope is familiar in our church, but it says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. This is the idea that God spoke it into existence, that He used man as you would use a pen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for Reproof for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we think of this idea that the Word of God, that Scripture is breathed out by God, that it is inspired by God, I want you to think of maybe the greatest steak you've ever had. You can have the greatest cut of meat, and you might put it on the grill, but it's not the grill itself that makes that steak ready to eat. What makes that steak ready to eat is the fire that that grill produces. Whenever you think about the Word of God being inspired, God is the fire that makes that Word acceptable for us to eat. Whenever you think about that Word of God, it is the fire in the grill that prepares our heart. It is the fire in that grill that makes us ready. And in the same way that you put a grill, on, you put a steak on a grill and it gets heated up and it becomes acceptable to eat, when we think about how the Word of God came, it's not that man wrote it down. It's that the fire of the Holy Spirit entered into them and God used them to put pen to paper so that you and I could have His Word. His Word is fully true. It is fully trustworthy because God Himself is the source. He is the fire. And that fire not only lights our hearts, it lights our lives and gives us reason to live. Which is why 2 Peter 1 says this, For prophecy, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit inside of man that allowed them to, have, to produce for us the Word of God. Whenever you think about God's role in this, it's proven through history and time and the way that the Bible came together. The Bible was written by 40 different authors. It covers multiple genres of writing, of literature. It was written over 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents. Yet, throughout Scripture, there's no contradiction. Throughout Scripture, there is one central theme. In all 66 books, they all point to our need of a Savior, and that that Savior has a name, and it's Jesus. Scripture is consistent, and God's Word is the sole authority for the Christian to live their life by because God is the source of Scripture. God inspired man to write it. It is inspired by God, and because of that, we can rest our life on it. When we say the Bible is the sole authority for our life, another way that it's said is the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice. 
We mean that we hold that the Bible, God's holy word, is to be our ultimate guide for what we believe, our faith, and what we do, our practice. That God's word is the source for thoughts, actions, theology, faith, and how we put that faith into practice. We mean that the Bible trumps man's authority, meaning that if man comes out and if culture and they say, you know what, it's not male and female. It's whatever you choose to be. We know that's false because God's word tells us male and female, he created them. If you have this idea of church tradition, which you may or may not believe is actually a problem in some churches. Many churches died last year because they didn't want to embrace technology. They said, oh, well, that's just not how church is done. And I want you to understand it's not ideal to watch online. However, if the church does not adapt their methodologies, the church will die. What is consistent is the message of the church, which is Jesus Christ, our one and only Savior, who was and is and is to come. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And tradition cannot hold us back. And our own opinions, this is big in the individual life. We think, well, the Bible didn't know everything we know now. Really, that the creator and sustainer of the universe didn't know? We have our opinions because sometimes following the Bible is just difficult. But we mean that the Bible trumps man's authority, church tradition, and our own opinions. We mean that we will allow nothing that opposes God's word to dictate our actions and control our thinking. Scripture is sufficient for how we are to live our lives. And there's something else that is just a strong blessing of Scripture, the steadiness of Scripture. Revelation 22, 18 through 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him plagues described in this book. I want you to, to think about the plagues in Egypt. Can you imagine if on top of the boils that they experienced in Egypt, that you had plagues added on to you like they did? And then it continues and it says, and if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book, just robbing yourselves from the blessing. But when we talk about the steadiness of Scripture, we can look inside of Scripture that gives us confidence that God is the sole author of it. But there have been many people who've sought out to disprove the Word of God. The greatest indicator that we have is so many people say, you know what? These cities and these stories and these people didn't exist. And they spend their lifetime in archaeology trying to disprove the Bible. And time and time and time again, archaeology doesn't disprove the Bible. It lines up history with the Word of God. There have been so many findings in this. One of the most influential ones that have, has ever happened is the Rosetta Stone. It was found in 1798. It was dated in the period of 204 to 180 BC, and on it there were three different languages, including hieroglyphics and Greek. It shows the point of the Hebrew language, it shows the point of the Greeks and the influence of the Jews, and it just reinforced what we already knew to be true about Exodus, what we already knew to be true about the Bible. There's another thing that came out, the Dead Sea Scrolls. These were found by accident. Shepherds 
really stumbled upon them just by being bored. They're doing what any other boy would do whenever they get bored. They get rocks and they throw them and they saw a hole. And you can imagine on the edge of the Dead Sea, there was a boy throwing rocks. This is exactly how it happened. And as he was throwing, he saw a hole in a cave and he just kept trying to throw rocks in the hole. And eventually he made it in the hole and he heard this crash like something broke. He crawled down in the hole and he found vases in there. And as he pulled them out, he found scroll after scroll after scroll. Long story short, he found almost a complete copy of the Old Testament that was hundreds of years old. There was a complete copy of the Old Testament that predated most copies that we had. And it was the Old Testament in its, in its totality with just a few exceptions. Archaeology proved this. People tried to disprove that King David was a real king. And then there's this thing called the Tel Dan inscriptions. So people were digging around Jerusalem, and as they were digging and they were excavating, they found these stones, and they would take some of the writing, and they would find it. And they found this inscription right here, which I'm sure all of y'all can read. And it says this, the house of David. David dated 733 B.C. They found this and it proved the stories and it proves the people and it proves the message of the Bible. Like you don't have to just look at the scripture to know that it's true. You can look at outside sources to know it's true. And the thing that's so undebatable in the debate of the Bible is that God's word contains a coherent and consistent message, even though it's written by 40 different men. A coherent and consistent message even though it's written over 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages. And what that means for us is that we can have confidence in the Word of God. That when our lives are sour, when our lives are bitter, when our hearts are hard or we're in despair, that we can go to the Word of God and we can believe passages like Psalm 119.103 that says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Like when we consume the Word of God, when we read it, it should sweeten our lives. It's why when we read passages like Psalm 145, it can give us just encouragement whenever it says, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. Any of you ever mess up in life? Any of you ever have a fault? Any of you know that you sin against God? Any of you know that you stumble and maybe you're ashamed of some of your acts? Maybe you have regrets in your life? Well, you can hold firm to the fact that the Lord God is good to all and He has compassion on you. 2 Samuel 7 says this, Sovereign Lord, you are good. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised good things to your servant. That is consistent with Romans 8, 28 that says, For God works all things together for good who love Him. And your life might be terrible right now. You might go through hardships or health issues or crisis. But God's promise to you is that He will work it for your good. First, or 2 Corinthians says this in chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to bless you abundantly. It doesn't say, hey, God's going to be conservative or he's going to be limited in your blessing. It doesn't say God's going to bless you here and there. It says God's blessings is he is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, 
having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Not only will he bless you, he will bless you to be a blessing to other people. And the ultimate source of our hope, the ultimate source of our lives, the ultimate source of our blessing is found in the fact that God loves us, he saves us, and he offers us salvations. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. In Christ, we have salvation. And the scripture is our guidebook, not only to know God, but to be received by God, to love God, and to be used by Him. The Bible was given to us. It is granted to us to tell the story of God's relationship with creation and with humans, And its purpose is to reveal God to us. It is given to us so we can know God in an intimate and personal way. Not so that we can know about Him, but so that we can experience Him. And as we hold firm to the faith that heaven and earth will pass away, but His words will not pass away, we have great security in the Scripture. Great security to where we can believe Matthew 5.18 that says, For truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Now, whenever we think of this, we think that it might be kind of like the the dot on top of an I, right? A lowercase I. Not one iota will be removed from Scripture. But the iota is less than that dot above the I in the Greek language. It is the idea of something that may or may not not be there that is kind of necessary, kind of not. It's like the most inconsequential form of a letter is the iota. And Jesus is telling us that not a dot, not an iota will be removed from Scripture. That heaven and earth will pass away, but nothing, not one of His promises not one of his truths, not one of the characteristics of God, not one of the things that can sweeten your life will ever go away from the word of God. There is nothing safer than putting your faith and trust in God and believing his word because his words will never go away. They will no, never fail you. They are always consist, consistent. Proverbs says it this way. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his word lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. I love this because when we argue with the word of God, we have one or two things that we believe. Either we look at God and say, God, you are not true, you are a liar, or we have to self-evaluate and say, I am not true, I am a liar. So whenever it comes to faith or a lack of faith, when it comes to forgiving others or not forgiving them, when it comes to forgiving ourselves or saying, I'm not worthy of forgiveness, we have to make a decision. Will we say, God, I believe you or I will believe myself? I know me, so it's easy. I'm always going with God's word over my own. And I know some of you. It's real easy knowing that we should always go with God instead of ourselves. And our mind will trick us. It will play games on us. We will deny the word and the truth and the power of God's word. But God's word is true and everything else is found to be a lie. And this is why God's word provides answers to our greatest needs and it meets our deepest yearnings. It provides answers to our greatest need, which to be clear is not a vaccine. 
It is not a certain person in the White House. Our greatest need is to be right with God. To be right with God supersedes everything else in life. And the scripture points us to Jesus. The Bible is a love story of the creator loving the created, even though the created turn, and turn their back on God. And if we would put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as I just read a minute ago, and believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we can experience salvation, the forgiveness of sin. And we have the promise of eternity, our deepest yearning, the afterlife. That's why self-preservation is such a thing, why we want to live and not die. That deepest yearning to, to know, but in Christ that yearning is found in the person and work of Jesus and the promise of eternity, that when we breathe our last on this earth, we enter into the presence of God Almighty. That because Christ died for us, we can escape the reality of hell, not based upon what we have done, but based upon what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. And I just want you to know, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Scripture is true and it tells us that you can find freedom and forgiveness for all your sins and have a right relationship with God if you believe in Him. And it also gives us strength for today. And some of the sweetest things in Scripture that we can ever hold to are His promises. Promises like He will never leave us or forsake us. Promises that He will be our steady rock, our fortress, our stronghold. Promises like we see in 145 verse 18 that says, The Lord is near all who called on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. That you might feel lonely, you might feel isolated, you might not feel worthy, but in the midst of your despair, God is faithful and true to be there for you. He is near all who call on Him in truth. That we can embrace the truth of Mark eleven twenty four that says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe in your heart that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now this is not jackpot Jesus. This does not mean if you're like, Lord, I just really, really need to win the lottery. I need that billion dollars. I need that million. That is not what this is saying. This is saying that if we go to God in faith, that he will give us the answers. Like whenever we pray for our loved one who is sick, when we pray for our loved one that is dying, that we can know that they will be healed and well taken care of on earth, or we know that they will be healed and well taken care of in heaven. We know that we will get to experience them in their fullness on earth or we will get to know them and experience their fullness in heaven. That with God there is always an answer. That with God there is always a victory to be had because when life does its worst and we breathe no more, we have the promise of eternity with God. And there's this reality about the sweetness and the nature of God's word that I just think we need to understand because somehow we miss it. So we're going to do kind of a a what-if scenario, maybe uh, an imagination, if you will. Maybe you can dream up in your head walking into the fanciest restaurant you've ever been in. And maybe as you walk in the nicest restaurant you ever have been in, maybe you look to your left and your right, and there's just a decadence of sweetness, of sweet treats to your left and to your right. And as you walk in, the owner of the restaurant looks at you and says, I got good news for you. First and foremost, every dessert that you see is free. And we have this special thing that only exists here. There's no calories, and if you're a diabetic, it's not going to hurt you that way either. Everything you see, you can have. You can have whatever you want. And as you walk through, you can get on your way in, or you can get on your way out. All of this is free, but whenever you sit at the table, whatever you order from the menu, whether it's your salad, 
Or it's your vegetable, or it's your potato, or if it's your protein, if it's your steak, or your shrimp, or your fish, or your sandwich, whatever it is. You pay premium for that, but all of your desserts are free, and you don't have to pay anything if you just want to get your desserts. How many of you would walk in and be like, I want to spend $200 on vegetables, but I'm going to forego all the sweetness that I see as I walk by? It sounds like a ridiculous scenario, unless you totally hate sweets, which I only know one person who's like that. If you were to think about it, how many of us would be like, you know what, there is no way I'm passing up the sweet treats that were laid out before me. But I think so many times as believers, practically, we will walk right past the sweet treats of God's Word on a daily basis. Like we go to church and we're like, I am in the Word of God. And we open it up and we read it and we're like, yes, especially a sermon like this. This is a sugar stick sermon in church, especially a Baptist church, because we like to talk about how we are men and women of the Word. Whenever I say that heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of the Lord will stand forever, everybody's like, yes, I believe it. This is not a hard sermon to hear. It is not a hard sermon to preach. But the problem is, where God wants to sweeten our life, we will hear it, we will receive it, we'll go to our car and we'll put our Bible underneath or maybe on our passenger seat or in the back seat and we won't touch it again until next Sunday. What happens many times is some people might get their Bible and, and they've got it and they're like, yes, I'm going to church. And you might grab it on your way out. And then as you walk past that nightstand or your entryway table, you put it on and you go about your life and you're not in the Word of God and you're somehow robbing yourself from the gift and the, the blessing that God's Word really is and it's meant to be. Hope in hardships. Faith in times of trial and turmoil that will solidify you. And so what I think we need to do is embrace the sweet treat of God's Word on a daily basis where we take the Word of God and we don't just make it a Sunday-only thing. We open it up throughout the week and we study God's Word. Like we dive in. We find out our flaws. We find out where we can rest and trust in God. We take our time and, and digest it. Maybe we go into a book like Colossians or Hebrews and we, we really dive deep to figure out, okay, what are all the nuances in Scriptures? What was this meant to the original audience? And how can I apply this to my daily life? Like, how can I know more and understand more? How can this word transform me? This is where, like, you get the brownie fudge Sunday of God's word, and you take your time and dive in. My family will attest to the fact I am not good at sharing food. Whenever it comes to, like, a cookie monster from Cheddar's or a Pazuki, whatever you call it, I don't want to share with you. I will because I have to, and that's what the Bible says, but honestly, like, let me eat until I'm done, then I'll share. In other words, you can have my leftovers. But whenever I'm talking about studying God's Word, I'm talking about sitting down and enjoying the fullness of that sweet treat that you have. Study it. Know it. The second thing, if we believe that God's Word is fully true and trustworthy, that it is God's, God's Word given to us, We've got to memorize God's Word. This is where like Skittles and Twix come into play. You know those things that you put in your glove box or 
the, the things that women put in their purse or men put in their pockets, like whenever you're in the middle of the day, you need a little pick-me-up, you open up the Skittle bags, tear the top off, and put them all in your mouth at once and chew it up so you can have some fake energy to get through the afternoon where you just need something and you're walking to a gas station and you're like, all right, a, a, a Twix will do. Just that, that simple thing that you can have, like when life comes at you and it's hard and you need a pick-me-up, you can recite the Word of God because you know it. That whenever you're, you're tempted, you can quote the Word of God to get you out of temptation. Just something quick and easy to remind you of who you belong to, whose you are, and for which purpose you are meant to exist. And then there's this other thing that, that really sweetens our life like nothing else, when we live the Word. When we take the Word, we know it and understand it, and we apply it to our daily life. I want you to understand, we do not study the Word of God so we can simply become scholars. We don't encourage Bible study. And the Bible was not meant for you to be holier than everybody else and to know more than everybody else. The Bible was given so that your life would be transformed. The Bible is not given for consumption and knowledge. It is given so that we can become more like Christ and less like our sinful self. And when we live out the Word, when it takes root in our life and it sprouts up and we become holy as we study God's Word and we become transformed by the renewal of our minds through knowing God's Word and applying it to our lives. That's like when we go into a fine dining restaurant and we get that souffle. We get that, that cake that when we cut into it, the hot fudge runs out. Maybe there's a little bit of ice cream on top and it melts and you get that soupy goodness of that molten chocolate. And that vanilla ice cream, and you're like, I just want it. Maybe it's that, that fancy chocolate box dessert to where, like, you want to cut into it, but you're afraid you're going to break it. And you know you can break it because you're going to eat it all, but you're not. When you live the Word of God, it is the highest experience of God knowing Him and being used for His purpose. But there's something else about the Word of God that can sweeten our lives, and that's when we share the Word. When we share the Word, there is a blessing that comes, and I, I think about, like, how do we share the Word? And we can give out invitations, and we can talk to people. We can uplift and encourage. Whenever I think about sharing the Word and how it pertains to sweets, if you're anything like my wife, what happens is if a new neighbor moves in, usually there's some cookies that are going to be made or purchased, and we walk them over to our neighbors, introduce ourselves, get to know them. It's an offering, something sweet for them to enjoy. So we make a good impression on them. We get to know them. We can build a relationship. When we share the Word of God, it is offering something sweet to somebody else that will pick them up, that will encourage their hearts, that will allow them to have the Word of God truth planted in their life. And the Word of God is one of those things that we don't need to just accept, even though this message, I hope, is familiar, even though the, the truth of God's Word, that we know it is something that we believe in, I hope that whenever we think about sweetening our life, when we think about all the sweet things that God has given us, that we will make a commitment and a dedication to embrace the treat of God's sweet Word in our daily life. I will study it and know it and allow the authority of God to transform our lives, that we will allow the power of God's Word to move and work to where we can speak truth and know truth and live truth because our world in times like this needs something secure. And the Word of God is steady and heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of the Lord will never 